what he, what he brings out, I find I find it the interesting part in what he brings out in, in going through Genesis one is the contrast being yes, as he walks through creation, he doesn't interact with creation until he runs into man. And when he creates man, he speaks to him and does what? He gives him direction. He, he says here, though we were created perfect, man or they still needed direction from God. They were created to be dependent on God. Now, sometimes we, we think of the fall and the effects of the fall. So many times we think, well, you know, the, the reason why we're the way we are is because of sin nature. And it is because of nature of the fall. There's the Genesis 1 man. There's the Genesis 3 man. And we think, well, you know, everything's perverted because of sin. And it is. But there's actually something that precedes sin. And that's man's natural created state to be dependent on God for instruction, for direction. Meaning, man wasn't created independent from God. We just roam the garden, enjoy the plants, enjoy the creation. He was created from the get-go before there was a fallen state. So, yes, sin brought this barrier, of course, between us and a perfect, holy God. And there is this, uh, so we have a warped understanding uh, of, of everything, really. But nevertheless, we were in, per, in, in this perfected creation we're created to be uh, dependent on, on God. So here's what three areas in, in, uh, that the, the author brings out that uh, distinguishes us from the rest of creation. One, they, will receive, they were to receive revelation. Question mark, and so this is kind of interactive question first. Trying to live without God's help is to assign myself a subhuman existence. So what is that? What's your thoughts on that statement he makes? What does that mean to you when he says that? Trying to live without God's help is to assign myself a subhuman existence. We're missing out on the way it's supposed to be. Because if you said that's we were designed that way. So we're, we're walking through life handicapped. So we're walking through life handicapped. We're walking through life, uh, missing on an element that God created us to have. What else? So why the term? Yes, Mark. Well, because of our, <clears throat> because of sin, our our um, self um, self dependence, our our relying on ourselves, basically, automatically. Then a tension between, in our life anyway, between um, God and, and us, but not just that, but it's it's acting out and and, and already has a tension sort of uh, expectation. We already know we're going to be in trouble just by leaning on our own understanding. So I think that he never in, invested or never intended for us to to be dependent on anything but him. So when we do that. Because sometimes you visualize Adam in the garden, you see him while he's working the garden, he's naming the animals, you know, he's 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 living life, picking the fruit off the tree, and I mean, you, you envision him, and if you're not careful, I'm saying not careful, you can kind of, in a quasi-independent state, you know, just kind of roaming in a perfect garden. Uh, I like the term, the term subhuman because basically he's saying, if you don't have 
that relational piece that was designed at dependence on God, then basically you're no different than the animals. You're not the human experience was designed to be one that was dependent on a on a creator. A lot of times, uh, when, when people talk about you know um, impulses or they have to do this or have to do that, and they they act like basically they act like they're animals, like they couldn't help themselves. You know, I couldn't help myself. What does that mean? You're an animal. I mean, like you're just like you just fall, you just go on instinct and you just pounce on something. It's like uh, we, we describe. Uh, I think what I enjoyed in that picture we've given is that we were designed to receive revelation from God. As soon as man was created, God revealed to him what he wanted, what he expected from him, and God created us had that, that ongoing dependency. And if we don't have that, then we basically live in the life of of an animal. We're subhuman. We're not living the human experience the way God designed it designed it to be. Um, and of course, the ramifications of that. If you that tension that Mark is describing, if you don't live with that revelation from God and you don't re- rely on Him for that re- revelation, then what do you do? Well, you live a life that is. Uh, I mean, sometimes we, we we talk about the atrocities man can do, and sometimes we even compare them to animals. Man, even animals know better. Well. When, when man doesn't live out through God's revelation the way he's intended to be, he does go and live on a sub, subhuman experience. Second thing he brings out, he says they were to be interpreters. It means they were to find finding meaning. They were designed to find meaning. And when you, what he's designing here, what he's expressing here, is there's this constant need for understanding and interpretation. Uh, oftentimes when you evangelize as, as a matter of fact when you actually when you do evangelize creation often comes into play unless you're dealing with someone who doesn't question creation and they, they believe there's a creator but nine times out of ten there's an issue with creation because if you don't believe you, you, you try to find you try to find existence outside of God and so you, you try to explain to someone the difference between the animal kingdom and and God's created being. God was created image of God. That's why man has an innate drive to understand eternity. He has the law written on his heart. There's these things that God already places in him to understand right or wrong. And so oftentimes we do that contrast with, I mean, I've done that many times, contrast with, with animals who have, animals are not searching for meaning. They're not searching for purpose. I don't care how much you love your dog and how much they stare at you in the eye. They look so cute. They don't have, all they want is that bone, milk bone you've got in your back, in your hand. And so... Every time they talk about how smart animals are, well, animals are only as smart as the food you're going to give them. I mean, you know, they'll find the way to the food. I mean, that's, that's their drive. So uh, you, they, they feed on that, on that instinct, right? Uh, sorry, Martha. Your dog is, your dog is exceptionally smart. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. But this. So. No, mine can't say mama. (laughs) (laughs) We're constantly and naturally, so this is the thing, that we're constantly and naturally trying to make sense of life. What does that mean? What's the sense of life? What does it mean that you're, you know, God created us to constantly interpret what were our experiences? Always looking for the why. 
just trying to figure out what your purpose is. I was trying to find out what your purpose is. I, purpose I tell you, and that's common to all men. I mean, there's, and that's really one of the things that constantly is so effective in, in sharing the gospel is that man has naturally designed in him a desire to interpret his life. What is the meaning of my life? What's the purpose of it? Is it valuable? Is it purposeful? Is it meaningful? And he's he, we're naturally designed to interpret our experience. Now, what he's gonna, now what he's gonna come with afterwards is, in light of this, we're constantly advising each other, counseling each other, directing each other because we're constantly seeking to understand. So, uh, their kids misbehaving, why they're acting out this way, you know, or. Even even natural things that happen to you, breaking down, getting sick. I mean, we're constantly wondering, is there a purpose for this? And we're, we're constantly, even an unbeliever is asking himself, you know, where's God in this? Why is God, is God fair? Is he unfair? Why me? And we're naturally constantly trying to interpret our experiences and what's given to us. Uh, contrary, again, he's contrasting uh, the, the, uh, the rest of creation. Third, they were created to to serve. Also, very significant. These these three areas are are so fundamental to understanding what how man was created. Again, his emphasis is on this as well. All this is pre sin nature. Now, sin comes in and warps all this. Sin comes in and tries to corrupt this. Sin comes in and instead of the revelation we receive in our sin nature, we don't receive it from God. We receive it from elsewhere. And we listen to other revelation. In our sin nature, we interpret things wrongly because we don't have a dependency and relationship on God. As in our sin nature, we serve. We're all going to serve and worship something. But in our sin nature, we don't serve God and pursue after him. So we are worshipers by nature. We'll worship God. We'll worship self. Or we'll worship something else. And a lot of times we use the term of, of idols in our lives. And, and I think it's appropriate and accurately so. We just, you know, what kind of idols do we have? And you define an idol as something that takes the place of God. Something that takes preeminence on God. Something that, you know, if I have to decide between what's pleasing to God or what's going to please this desire, this drive, I'm going to fall over here and hope that God understands. Or I hope that God will forgive me. And I've heard that many times in, 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 in witnessing or counseling the people. They're over here. They're making the decision. That, well, I know what the Bible says, but but you understand. And by saying by saying that, they're putting to the side uh, God's given revelation and counsel and saying, I'm going to choose to worship this. I'm going to choose to elevate this above what I know is God's revealed truth. And that should be very concerning to us as a believer. That should be concerning to us as a non-believer, of course. They're not going to worship God. They don't know him. They're going to worship self. They're going to do what they like for themselves, what's pleasing to them. Or they're going to pursue after fame, recognition, wealth, or, or something else. But what he's, what he's, what he's trying to, to point out here in these three areas is that we're going to naturally want to worship something. Man... Again, he's contrasting. So the, the rest of creation doesn't worship. They don't. They don't have. They don't have a lion king that they actually bow down to. Uh, so they have this. Man has this natural, created way to serve and and worship.
worship. And if he doesn't know God, then he's going he's gonna to worship the totem pole. I mean, man, is that desperate, right? That driven to worship something that he'll worship a piece of wood. He'll carve it out, put it on a stand, and say, this is my new God. So driven are we to worship and serve. And when you don't know God, then you fall into the folly of, of searching for so many other things. Human beings need truth outside themselves to make sense of life. Adam and Eve found their purpose and understanding once God revealed it to them. They weren't just created and okay, I know why I'm here. They weren't just created and okay, now, man, this is great. We're in a garden. I mean, this is, life is great. Life is good. No. They had to have instruction immediately from God to explain to them, to give, make sense of their lives. And, of course, so do we. We have to be dependent on God to make sense of our lives. So as such, we are constantly trying to make sense out of life. Then all of life is counseling or personal ministry. So what he's, what he's going to connect to, and we're going we're to obviously go, go across these lines too, is all of our lives then are intentionally or unintentionally we're counseling, given direction to help that feeds into revelation, that feeds into per, giving purpose and meaning to something, and uh, we're always interpreting and always sharing our interpretations. And we're in, that, in that fashion, we're constantly counseling each other. You don't have to go to Mark and Cindy to get counsel. Now, you go there and they'll, they'll give you good counsel. Mark might beat you up a little bit, but that's the way he works. That's the way he – but they'll, they'll give you biblical counsel. But in the reality, there's a lot more counseling going on. And nine times out of ten, when you go to a counselor, the first thing you've got to do – is deconstruct all the counseling you've already received. Because all the everything your parents have passed on to you that you gotta deconstruct if it's not in a godly if it wasn't given in a godly way, if it wasn't godly truth, if it wasn't God directed revelation. That's why if you go to uh, someone and they're already uh, meeting with other counselors, it's very hard because they're already getting a certain uh, sharing him uh, I go to Mark and I ask, you know, here's different situations. They have a parent working with their child, and, and they're going through a counselor, and the counselor's trying to help them identify uh, anxiety triggers. And of course, the school's a trigger. <laughs> I say, school's a trigger for me, so I get it. You know? <laughs> so uh, anxiety triggers, and then, and then we, we help, the, we help notif- of course, then one of the triggers is the teacher is not soft and kind enough, or then we have to have coping mechanisms on how to how to breathe through. When you feel that tension arise, breathe, breathe from here, and, and imagine yourself in, in water floating. It's like so. <laughs> I told I told Mark he's rubbing off on me because I told the fan, well, "That's fantastic. Sounds like to me to identify the trigger and you have a mechanism, so we're good to go, right?" Well, no, you know, there's other things. Like, okay, well, I guess it wasn't that easy, then was it? But. I say that because you, you go through what you have. You, you, you naturally have to go back through. You're, you're giving counsel. And how we feed each other information is personal ministry and counsel. That's why the instruments in the hands of the, of the Redeemer demonstrates not just, you know, what do we do? In a, it's not a professional counseling session. describing how we're constantly giving each other feedback and direction that's going to direct us towards what is true, what is wise, what is good, what is bad. Oh, man, you did that. Man, I would have never done that. And they feel we're, well, we're interpreters, right? So it makes us 
think through, we're interpreting what that means, and we say, wow, what is that? we're constantly in that mode, and we, we feed each other in that way. Why it's important then to understand um, the consequences or the importance of that. So what happens when another counselor enters a scene? What's going to happen with the Genesis 1 model and then, of course, Genesis 3 model? What happens in Genesis 3? The fall, who comes, in the, who, who, who comes on the scene in the fall? What does he do? He gives different counsel. Satan's going to do, well, the, the original counsel is, here's what you're created for, here's what you need to be doing. He's going to give them different advice, different counsel. And obviously, as we know, the, they're going to receive... Instead of depending on God for that revelation, they're going to turn to to the adversary. But this is this is a few things here that are really significant. One, Satan uses the same information, but gives it a different interpretation. He takes the same information, but he gives a different interpretation. He counseled man that he was independent from God and His wisdom. I think there's one thing here that um, that probably. I thought it was very insightful. Again, I, like everyone else, when, when you're going through this information, you're reading it, you're studying it, first and foremost, you apply it to yourself, and you know, wow, this is really... Satan, in bringing a new counsel, said what? Basically, he told man, you don't need to be dependent on God. You could be independent from God. Have your own wisdom, your own understanding. I mean, why do you depend... What was one of the things Satan told Adam and Eve? You won't die. What was what was what was they? What was, what was it? Did you say anything? I heard somebody saying something. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? So that revelation from God. Did God really say that? And then it's centered around what? Knowledge, right? So he's saying, do you really have to depend on God for that knowledge? Can you not have that knowledge for yourself? And then make your own interpretation of what you should do with it. Do you really have to depend on God for that? And when you think about it, isn't, isn't that what plagues us all through our lives, our sinful lives? Constantly seeking to be independent in our thinking. Do I really, you know, we, we always process truth that comes from God in a way that we examine whether or not it fits my life, it fits my frame of thinking. It fits, it fits me. So he brings in this idea of independence. And hey, independence is very American. And we're, we're independent. We're independent Baptists. I mean, we love it. We're just like, we need no one. We're all by ourselves. I mean, we don't need a fellowship. I mean, we, we, we love independence. And the reality is, when it comes to spiritual walk, there's a great danger in that and he, he describes it here actually the desire to be we've been created to be dependent not independent he describes here the lie is one of autonomy and self-sufficiency autonomy and self-sufficiency the idea that we can be you know I need no one and isn't that kind of sometimes kind of pushback reaction when you experience something negative and something bad when it comes to a relationship with somebody, sometimes our first, our first reaction is what? I don't want it. 
I don't need that person. I don't need them. Uh, they're going to be honest, I'm just going to ignore them. I mean, I'm, I'm a good Christian, so I, I'm not going to be rude because I'm more polished than that, more sophisticated than that. So I'll look the other way. Or I go to the other entrance because I know they go to this entrance. <laughs> and I'll sit on the other side of the church and they never have to see them again. But I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going to be very Christian about it. But I don't need them. And actually, one of our first reactions, one of our first sinful reactions in our relationship with others is the sense of I don't need that person. First thing destroys marriage. I'd be better off without them. Isn't that amazing? That really it feeds at the root of it is why constantly the sense of autonomy, I don't need anyone else. And I, I'd be, it's not just it's not just divorcing. It's not just, well, we're having uh, you know, our differences and I'm tired of this and things like that. It's, it's, I'm better off without that person. I mean, it goes a step beyond just, you know, we, a bad situation that we have to separate from. So why, why obey God? All interpretations lead to defining our relationship to him. I'm going to walk through a couple of things here. Do, any, any other areas where you see that this lie of autonomy and self-sufficiency impacts our, our daily Christian walk? I gave you a couple of examples. Are there other areas you could think about where sin impacts that? I think all sin is self-sufficiency in some form. So we're all always about defaulting to independence rather than defaulting to dependence on God. So it's an, it's an act of the will that we intentionally study our Bible, intentionally go to church, intentionally invest the truth in our life because the default mechanism isn't to the neutral zone, but it's back to the natural man. I mean, I don't wake up, I don't systematically wake up in the morning thinking, God, I depend so much on you, I'm going to have to, i got to dig in the Word this morning and go in prayer because I just depend so much on you for the day. We don't just default that way. How do you see this in your kids? How do, you, how do you see this play out in your children? <laughs> Starts when they're two. <laughs> they find better ways of doing things than what you told them to do. Some of you with teenagers. Teenagers are what? They just know so much more. They have a better way. And sometimes they'll say the most absurd things. <laughs> I mean, they're like... <laughs> so, one of the girls was tired, came back, exhausted. I know you stay up a little too late. Late watching things and doing things, and says, Maybe you should try to go to bed just a little bit earlier. Oh, that won't make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you even hear yourself? I said, Why are you talking about making a difference? <laughs> no, go ahead. Go to bed now. I'm going to make you feel fresher. Oh, no, it'll make no difference. I mean, it's like they see that play out in your children. 
naturally resisting the direction and advice you give because of the sense of, of, of autonomy and self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own. Rick? Isn't there another aspect to that besides just no doubt autonomy is at the root of it, but I see kids, especially teenagers over and over and over, seeking out other sources of counsel in regard to ordained sources of counsel, the scripture, the church, and so forth. And I, I seem to so peer dependent. And he had, actually, he does, he, he might address that uh, a little bit later, just underlining that part. Where are you, right, where are you getting the importance of where you're getting your counsel from? Um, I think I mentioned this last week, you know, just encouraging. It was this, a mother very concerned because her daughter is befriending someone who's very, has hate against God and, and the church. And I says, yes, your daughter's in danger because she's being drawn to this person who feeds her constantly this advice and this counsel and says, I would take radical steps. Why you don't it's, it's amazing. You're afraid to offend the daughter. And by offending her, you're afraid to ostracize her. So you're trying to manage the situation instead of taking it as the emergency that it is and pull her out of whatever environment she is and, and break that relationship because this this other person is, is so volatile, so she's out so much hatred that's going to spill over into her daughter's life. So absolutely the, the, the counsel and advice that you're getting is, is part of what he's, he's bringing to life here as well. So principles from Genesis 3 regarding, uh, regarding the fall, regarding this area of... Uh, uh, counsel and in fact one thoughts opinions advice and relationships are always agenda setting what does he mean by that your thoughts your opinions your advice and your relationships goes back to what you're saying about your, your friendships are always agenda setting you know we think sometimes that we're so we're so beyond that right we had this analytical ability to read something not be impacted but all you got to do is listen to you listen to people who read the same books and bought into it and you hear the same language you just will I guarantee you everyone who goes to TS seminary is going to have certain traits or recognize it because why because they're trained by the same people and they go in there thinking well I'm, an open, I'm, I'm thinking through this but they walk out believe in some of the same things. Why? Because of that natural ability, the, the importance of teaching proper theology because you're going to feed them truth and it's going to impact them on, on the other side. I've seen that in, in, in no matter what environment you're in. My, my, um, my brother-in-law went to Crown College and some of the things I hear, well, it's kind of typical that you're going to hear from Crown College. And, and uh, that's just constant with where you go. You walk away with, why? Because of the impact, influence. So it, it is important you're not, no one's above him, above that, and here he's, he's applying it to a little broader context of the advice that we give to each other, the opinions we share with each other, the relationships. I mean, I was, I've been looking for uh, a used car. I'm kind of tired of driving the. My kids call it the party box, the astral van, um, and it's kind of like you feel like you're floating on a on a bed. On a, it's like a, it feels like a water bed when you drive down the road. It kind of, kind of does that, you know. 
Let me call it a swagger bag. Let's call it a swagger bag. And so I'm just saying how on a very simple scale, right? So one car I'm interested in buying or I'm looking for a used one because like everybody else, I want the cheapest I can and the less miles I can. I think we're all looking for that, right? And those two don't usually go together. So I saw Phil last night. He's got a Ford Explorer. I said, that's exactly the car I'm looking for. I love it. It's great. What does that do to me? Jane, I told you I needed to get a Ford Explorer. I was like, <laughs> Phil says, no. But, it's my fault, Jane. Sorry. But if he had told me, man, I hate this car. I wish I'd never bought it. All of a sudden, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Should I be looking for a different? Every day, we're feeding each other. And because we're designed to interpret and seek meaning and understanding, we filter and process it. We do. So, of course, then the importance of having, right, the... The right type, feeding the right information, that is helpful. Uh, two, advice is always moral. Now, he's not saying just opinions are more, hey, I like, I like the Redskins. That's not a moral. You know, you could like whatever football team you want. But when you give advice, advice is moral. It defines what is good. It defines what is bad. It gives you the idea of what is wise, what is foolish. Oh, I wouldn't. Uh, some of my, my daughter, one of my daughters is interested in, in, in going to the Air Force. So she said, well, the Air Force recruiter is not responding to her. So she, she wrote to the uh, Army recruiter, and, and, and uh, my brother tells her, man, don't, never go in the Army. Go in the Air Force. That's better for women. All, all you have to hear is that advice. Air Force is better for women that you're going to be what? Geared towards – why? Because we're designed to take it in, process it, understand, and make applications to it. Just think about every day how much that is constantly fed, and we're constantly in the process of, of seeking meaning and understanding. We should hunger for dependence on God. We should hunger for – I mean we should be knowing this. Having this in our, in our DNA should make us hunger for a dependence on God. We were created to be dependent on him so that truth flows from him, and then we have the advice, good, bad, wise, foolish that comes from him, and in doing so can, can walk accordingly. The world appeals to our sinful hearts, meaning, I'll take a second part of this, meaning that the world going to appeal to what? To our desire for independence, self-sufficiency. And it's going to drive us, it's, it seeks to drive a continual wedge between God's revealed truth and... Uh, in, in our own hearts. Concluding thoughts. These three areas. I've got three minutes here. One, we were created with the need for truth outside ourselves to live life properly. We were created with, with, need, with a need for truth that comes outside of ourselves. I mean, you know, the age of reasoning, reason is sufficient. What man continues to discover is no man continually seeks truth, and that truth has to come from beyond himself. So he seeks it, and of course we need to find that in, in Christ. Many interpretive voices compete with God's word for our heart's attention and your children's attention. If we start taking the position with our kids, well, I, I'm afraid to lose them. If you let them be fed that constantly... You will lose them. If you, was it last night we were talking about 
no, it wasn't with you guys. It was with uh, Jane's sister, Sharon. Someone had taken their eight-year-old to go watch the movie It. I haven't seen the movie. I don't like horror movies anyway. But I'm pretty sure it's not fitting for probably anyone, but much less an eight-year-old. And something happened, and it was a you know another teen took him, and the parents said never again. I mean, imagine what that child was fed for an hour and a half. And sometimes, oh, well, you know, we, we rationalize because we're afraid of offending. We're afraid of ostracism because the, the child kicks and screams about what they want to do. Oh, I could never do something. You never let me. All right. Then we let them there, and they're fed, and they're fed, and they're fed. Then we wonder why we lost them. Man, you, you, we just have to be constantly aware there's, such, there's competing voices for the hearts and minds of our, our own heart and mind, obviously, and that of our children. The power of, of sin has been broken, but its presence remains. We're going to battle with our own harsh desires to constantly respond the same way Adam and Eve did. says, you know, do I really... Everyone believes. Let me tell you, when it comes to sin, everyone believes they're the exception. They really are. We all believe. When we sin, we willfully sin, we all believe we're the exception. One, that this specific case justifies... Two, that there won't be any spiritual consequences for it. Or if they do, they're certainly not going to be more severe than the pleasure I take in in this. And the devil continually feeds those lies to us. And then the last point, he says we need to live within a community of believers, which means we need we need the fellowship of believers what that feeds. It's not just it's not just the sermon you hear on Sunday morning that 45-minute sermon you hear on Sunday morning is is only part. Really, all the advice you're going to give around the table around the fellowship time when you eat is going to constantly feed advice, direction, and counsel. And you need to be around believers who feed you the right thing. How many times have I seen marriages broken and it started with someone starting to work over here and uh, the wife found or the husband found affirmation somewhere else that, man, you don't, you don't deserve this. Walk away. You deserve better. And they're fed advice. Wrong information. Didn't, you know, when the, Brian says this uh, often, you know, when the, when the uh, apple falls from the tree, it doesn't fall far from the tree. In other words, sin it doesn't just fall in your lap. There was this, this pattern of taking bad advice and counsel somewhere along the way. So the, the importance, when, when people talk about, you know, either you're protecting your children, protecting their minds, protecting their hearts. My kids don't understand that yet. But I, I hope that uh, it's not living in a bubble, not in a bubble. It's knowing that they're being fed information and advice that I need to be aware of because the world is competing for their hearts and their minds. So I thought he just had some great insight on, on this, and he'll use that to show how we're going to minister one to another and bring biblical, godly advice uh, one with another. So I thought just some great insights in, in Chapter 3. I'm not here next Sunday. Uh, Mr. The Honorable Mark Hager will be uh, covering for us next Sunday. So, was it you or is it uh, Nathan? Yeah, you're you're next Sunday because you couldn't do that either. Yeah. So, Mr. You're still Honorable Nathan. So we'll, we'll give you the, we'll give you the title as well. <laughs> I thought you were doing the following week. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for creating us to to be dependent on you that's a beautiful thing and you you, you've given us your truth i pray for us that we might well just cherish your truth pursue after it 
Help us to understand that the world has competing voices for our children, for our own hearts and minds, and that we would guard them from them, that we might uh, feed truth in their hearts and minds to help them understand and discern what is good, bad, wise, and foolish. And, Lord, knowing that you've equipped us to, to, to do that task, we commit this day to you. Uh, pray for these couples, Lord. Give them wisdom as they um, raise their families, uh, nurture their marriages. Bless the time of the uh, message this morning. Ecclesiastes, Lord, and we commit this to you now. In your name we pray. Amen.